On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between, this is Brewers Weekly. From football to baseball, welcome in. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Greg Matzik with you until 9 o'clock tonight. Very excited to sort of break format tonight. We're going to go a non-traditional route with the program and have an extended conversation with esteemed Brewers beat writer Tom Hardercourt. You, you may have missed this last week. Tom Hardercourt announced via social media he is retiring. He is stepping away from the beat in covering Brewers baseball which he's done for 36 years. Tom Hardercourt's going to retire. Where is he going? Will he be around the ballpark anymore? And who are some of the more memorable characters Tom has covered since his time? It dates back to 1985. Tom Hardercourt covering the Milwaukee Brewers. So very excited. Tom is going to join us coming up on our next segment. And we don't really have an out time with Tom. We, we just got to be done by 9 o'clock. So we might just take him all the way up until the end of the program. Before we get into that, I did want to give you a bit of an update here. So positive developments with regard to the lack of CBA and the current lockout. Major League Baseball Players Association meeting on separate occasions this week, back-to-back days, trying to hammer out deal points and the framework for a new CBA. So here's where things stand. Here's the latest from Greg Amzinger of the MLB Network. Both sides met for a second day in a row in person and took significant steps towards creating a path to a deal. Major League Baseball removed three significant issues off the table, no longer seeking changes to the arbitration system, eliminating Super 2s or changes to the pension plan. Perhaps the biggest step was that Major League Baseball accepted the union's concept and framework to get younger players paid more through the pre-R bonus pool. This is the first time in history that Major League Baseball will use central funds to ensure younger players are paid more money. MLB is also offering significant increases in the minimum salaries for all young players. Both sides are expected to get together again in coming days to work on the nearly dozen important but non-core economic issues that need to be resolved to get an agreement done on time. All right, so maybe a sliver of hope here that spring training will begin on time. I don't have any concerns about the start of the regular season. However, it's very possible spring training could be delayed a week, maybe two, hopefully not more, as we gear up just a couple months away here from the start of the regular season, end of March for the Milwaukee Brewers. So what does it mean? Well, this is less about the universal designated hitter, though I'm sure it's a deal point being discussed, or it will be eventually. This is less about... A draft lottery, which could also be part of the discussion and ultimately inside the framework of a new CBA. This is more about the economics, and that's not a big surprise. It's always about the economics. Younger players want to be paid more earlier in their career. Younger players who are worthy of being on a major league team don't want to be held back in the minor leagues. We saw this with Chris Bryant, notably from the Chicago Cubs. He was ready to rock. But the Cubs held him at the AAA level because they didn't want to start his MLB service clock. The players are saying no more of that. If we're ready, if we can contribute at the major league level, don't manipulate our service time. We want the opportunity without restriction to play at the major league level. So those are just a couple of the things that they're trying to hammer through. Economics are always a big part of this discussion. The fact that they're meeting is a good sign. I wish this had been taken care of in December. Uh, maybe even before the lockout, but that was never going to happen. Deadlines typically spur action. We're getting closer to the deadline. Keep in mind, players don't get paid throughout spring training, so the chance for players to lose money doesn't exist until the regular season begins, unless there are some workout bonuses or, or whatever tied specifically to a given contract. 
So that's where things stand right now with Major League Baseball. Maybe a little more hope today than you had at the start of the week or last week or two weeks ago. The fact that they're meeting, I do ultimately believe, is a good thing. Coming up next, very much looking forward to this. Tom Hardercourt is going to join us. I have no idea for how long. We're just going to keep Tom because we got a lot to discuss. The esteemed Brewers beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel retiring after 36 years on the beat. Our conversation, exclusive conversation with Tom Hardercourt, is after this. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Welcome back in. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Greg Matzik with you until 9 o'clock. Happy to be joined by... Tom Hardercourt, the esteemed Brewers beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. We might just keep Tom until 9 o'clock tonight. A lot of ground to cover as Tom, last week, you may have seen it or read it, announced his retirement. He is stepping away from the Brewers beat after 36 years, Tom. 36 years. That's the magic number, huh? Well, you know, I I didn't plan my career and I didn't plan my retirement. So uh, I continue to stumble through life. (laughs) Um, You know, it's... uh, I never, uh, I, I never dreamed of being a, a newspaper reporter. Actually, for forty-six years, including the time I spent in Richmond, Virginia, before I uh, got to Milwaukee. So it's all I've ever done, but I didn't plan to do it. And now um, the retirement. But my wife and I decided you can't uh, move back and retire to Virginia without having a place to go. <laughs> So we looked for a home first, found one, and then decided to do the retirement thing. And, uh, no, seriously, it's been very, very overwhelming and humbling. But, you know, it doesn't feel great right now because, um, you know, I've got to get used to the the idea that I won't be doing this much longer. Where looks like I'm going to work through February. So we'll see if I get any portion of a spring training you know, during that time. Right now, it's hard to tell. Does the lockout play into your decision at all? There's a lot of uncertainty in baseball right yeah. now, too. Yeah. It not really. Um, I would have been more, if it wasn't time to retire, I would have been more than willing to keep going. I haven't been to a work stoppage since 1994-95, and that was a bad one. So, you know, Hopefully they've given themselves enough time to get this settled without losing any part of the season and not too much of spring training. I know a lot of people look forward to that. I've I've had lots of people, you know, reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm you know, I've got a trip, you know, to Arizona plan for spring training. Do you think it's gonna happen? And my response is I hope it's toward the end of spring training and not the beginning. What was your first year covering the Brewers? I, I know you were in Milwaukee and you left momentarily, came back, so thirty six years in total. Year number yeah. one covering the Brewers. When was it? Yeah, I, I started for the old Sentinel, you know, the morning paper. There a lot of people aren't old enough to remember that there are uh, Used to be two newspapers in Milwaukee, the Sentinel, the morning paper, and the journal. The Sentinel hired me in season in August of 85. It, you know, I, I had a crazy start to my newspaper career and a crazy start to my baseball covering career. When I was in high school in uh, Richmond, Virginia, I had applied to the Naval Academy. My father served in the Navy, was a big Navy guy, encouraged me to do that. I had applied to the Naval Academy. Um, which was right up the road from Richmond, Virginia, and Annapolis. And I was all in on them and uh, went up. Believe it, those who see me now probably don't uh, have a hard time believing that, you know, when I was a teenager, I was actually in good shape. Um, 
And so I went up for my physical as far as I knew, did just fine, and I was all set to go. And then all of a sudden I got a letter from the admissions department at the Naval Academy saying that my uh, admission had been declined because my uh, physical revealed I was colorblind on a gray-green spectrum. (laughs) Did you know that? (laughs) No, that was news to me. And so I called them, I called them, and uh, um, said, are you guys sure about this? And they go, yeah, we're very confident in our testing. And I said, well, just, I said, how important is that gray-green spectrum? It seems a little vague to me. And they said, well, our ships are gray and the ocean's green. We want you on the ships, not in the ocean. And so we consider that very important. (laughs) Well, Well, where do you go with that argument, you know? So, um, you know, as I said, I was all in on the Naval Academy. I had not applied to any colleges. Um, and, you know, that that's a life-changing thing, too, if you go, because it's four years of school, then at minimum a four-year service commitment afterwards. So you kind of lock in the next eight years of your life, and, and all of a sudden that just went by the boards. So my, my guidance counselor called me in shortly afterward and said, uh, Tom, I understand you're not going to the Naval Academy. And I said, yeah, apparently I'm colorblind. Um, and he said, well, what's your plan? And I says, well, I didn't have a backup plan. And he says, well, that wasn't uh, very smart. And I said, well, thanks for that news flash, um, but I really don't know. And so he pulled some strings, got me in University of Virginia. I was in pre-med for three years, but in my junior year, a D in organic chemistry convinced me that that was not the, what, what was going to happen for me. But I'd started writing for the student newspaper at UVA and really liked it. So I sent a bunch of applications out to uh, the papers up and down the East Coast, got hired at a little paper in Manassas, Virginia, Um, worked my way into a job at my hometown newspaper in in Richmond, Virginia. And just a few years after I got there, they put me on a beat that kind of changed my life. They, They put me on the beat of covering the class AAA Richmond Braves Atlanta's AAA team was in Richmond. They've since left, but they were there then. And they put me on that beat, Greg, and I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. So that's how you got your start. But I am curious how you got to Milwaukee, Tom. I want to explore that on the other side. More with Tom Hardercourt after this on WTMJ. And welcome back to the program, continuing our conversation with Brewers beat writer Tom Hardercourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Tom, last we left, you were talking about getting started with the Richmond Braves in your home state of Virginia. But ultimately, you ended up in Milwaukee. So how did that all happen? I applied to the Sentinel for a job uh, for covering the Brewers. They lost their beat writer. The Sentinel lost their beat writer, a fine journalist named Bud Geraci, right before spring training started in 1985 and I applied for the job and they uh, gave it to someone else so I just sort of forgot about it the, the summer came and I was covering the Richmond Braves and they were on an eight-game road trip to Rochester and Syracuse New York a lovely swing through upstate New York in uh, early August late July or early August of 85 and this was before cell phones Greg and so I uh Checked into my, I'm sure it was a Motel 6 or some kind of low-grade hotel, because that's kind of what you did back then, especially covering AAA baseball. And the the red light was flashing on my phone in my room, and so I called the front desk, and they said, you have a message from Joe Carius, 
in Milwaukee. And for a minute, I blanked on that. I said, who the heck is Joe Karras? Then I said, oh, yeah, that's the sports editor that I interviewed with way back in February for for that job. So I called him, and he goes, Tom, are you still interested in covering uh, the Brewers for the Sentinel? And I said, well, Joe, I hadn't thought about it since I interviewed way back in February. I I guess I still am. Why? He goes, when can you start? Um, (laughs) And, you know, the guy they hired didn't work out for whatever reason, and they moved on, and they needed it. was six weeks left in the season, and uh, they needed somebody right then. So I I gave two weeks' notice, came home from New York uh, to start packing. I was newly married to my wife, Trish. I broke the news to her that we were going to the frozen tundra, and uh, off we went. And so what a whirlwind that was. Um, But I do remember, Greg... And I think people who followed the Brewers in 1985 can um, can uh, um, agree with this sentiment. I do remember shortly after arriving and watching that team for a, you know, a week or so, like, turning one one night in the press box to Tom Flaherty, uh, the late great beat writer for the Journal who covered the Brewers, and asking him. This team really was in the World Series three years ago. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, they had fallen apart, you know, um, injuries and whatnot, and they just weren't very good. Um, so, but you know, shortly afterward in 1987, they had that great team streak year. They didn't make the playoffs. There was no wild card back then. If they would have, if there would have been one, but. You know, just the 13-0, and 0, Rob Deere on Easter Sunday, Juan Nieves, no-hitter in Baltimore, Malters hitting streak, 39-game hitting streak. That was a fantastic season to cover, about as good uh, a, a team as you can cover that did for not making the playoffs. And then it got, it got a little bleak after that. They, uh, they had a pretty good season under Phil Garner in 92. Again, no wild card. And then the strike, the rest of the 90s were kind of tough. Yeah, I, you, you saw a lot of bad baseball, Tom, and you had a lot of bad media meals at County Stadium. <laughs> w- w- was there ever any incentive to go somewhere else, to a team that was having a little more success? or it, What made you fall in love with Milwaukee? Well, it helped that shortly after we got here, my wife got a fantastic job at Harley-Davidson, and... Um, she worked there for many, many years, and uh, so that helped. You know, uh, she she ended up, you know, probably back then when you consider, you know, newspaper jobs and the salaries you make and stuff. Uh, she had probably ended up with a better job at the time. Uh, but but you know, so we we just you know we bunkered in. We were never huge fan. And anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm not a huge fan of winter here. Um, Never got into the snowmobiling, skiing, any of that stuff. We never had children, so there was no building snowmen and missing school days and stuff like that. So, but the the blessing of that was the middle of February every year. I took off for Arizona while everybody else stayed back and froze and shoveled snow. So I do understand. Um, how lucky I was to have a job that puts you in Phoenix, Arizona for the second half of February and all of March. We always laugh, though, Greg, because you would leave 
on Valentine's Day and come back on April Fool's Day, and the weather would be exactly the same. Yeah, not much different. Yeah, winter didn't really always have an end date. (laughs) No, and we saw some brutal opening days at County Stadium. One in particular, I remember Cal Eldred started, and they were playing Oakland, and the wind chill was below zero. We were surprised they even played, but I think the extended forecast wasn't good. I think he gave up a grand slam to Terry Steinbach in the first inning, but they came back and won some wild shootout game. But afterwards, the guys were just frozen, stiff. Their fingers were, you know, numb. And so everything changed in 2001 when Miller Park opened. Of course, now American Family Field. Well, you're right. I mean, an absolute game changer. There's no question. But still, in 2001, boy, this team was still scuffling along. It had the facility, and people were there to watch but the team was still not performing. So I want to get your thoughts on where this franchise is now as compared to when you started, when Miller Park opened up in 2001 and beyond. More with Tom Hardercourt after this on WTMJ. Welcome back in. We continue with Brewers beat writer Tom Hardercourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Tom will be stepping away from the Brewers beat after 36 years. 36 years, Tom. You started after the World Series year. They sniffed the playoffs in 1992 but didn't make it in. There was no wild card at that point. And you want to talk about a drought. It took you a long time before you were able to cover a playoff game that included the Milwaukee Brewers. How frustrating was that? I wondered for a while if I would ever get to see a playoff team in Milwaukee, if I would live long enough or be employed long enough, because I started in 85, and I didn't see a playoff team until 2008. But that was just quite the breakthrough year. CC Sabathia in the second half, just the greatest uh, second-half pitching performance probably ever, just lifted the team on its shoulders, winning that last day, and then waiting for the – you know, Marlins to beat the Mets and just, and, and, you know, there had been so much talk of the 82 team and would anything ever approach that? But, you know, starting in 08, you know, this has been the kind of golden age of Brewers baseball as far as postseason play because, you know, they went in 08, they went in 2011, and now they've been four straight years. And I, and I strongly believe they'll go back again this year. Um, so, I mean, I, I do, you know, I, of course, everybody wants a World Series. They came so close in 2018, losing that NLCS in seven games to the Dodgers. I really thought when uh, Yelich hit a home run in the first inning off Walker Bueller at home in game seven that uh, they were going to do it. But the rest of that game didn't go well for them. But, you know, it's it's uh, they, they've just had the heartbreak the last few years of always being matched up in the first round against the team that goes on and wins the World Series. <laughs> right. But it's been, uh, you know, it, it, I, I certainly, uh, you know, as far as going out at this point in the Brewers timeline and my own personal timeline, I, I can't couldn't have asked for much more as far as competitiveness over the last few years than I've seen. It's been you know, fun to cover. COVID's been rough because, you know, our accessibility to players has been greatly reduced. But it's been, but it's been rough on everybody. We can't take that personally. It's Everybody's struggled through COVID. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to be any better this year. Um, I hope it is. I hope, you know, we eventually get at least far enough to the other side of COVID for clubhouses to open back up. Because the readers, 
will benefit from more access to the players instead of less access. Tom, it's time to play the name game. I have in front of me a list of players. Well, they wore Brewers uniforms. I'll put it that way. I'd like you to give me your your first thoughts, unfiltered response to the names I mentioned. We'll kind of go rapid fire here. Let me know what you think. Top of your head kind of stuff. Sound good? I'll try. It sounds dangerous. <laughs> we'll start easy with it, okay? Okay. Jim Gantner. Right. Uh, salt of the Earth. Jeff Juden. Uh, opposite of Salt of the Earth. <laughs> Matt Garza. Uh, disappointing in many ways. Mark Newfield. Uh, <laughs> pretty short career and ignominious uh, opening. <laughs> Ken Maka. He didn't like me much. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Nelson. Jimmy Nelson. Um, just unfortunate injury. I mean, he, I truly believe he was going to be, he was on the verge of greatness uh, before he hurt his shoulder. So just unfortunate injury there. Ryan Braun. Just um, um, mixed emotions career. Um Flawed, you know, flawed personality as far as that PED thing, but tremendous player, as good a clutch player as I've ever seen. So just a, just a roller coaster, roller coaster Brewers career, I think is the best way to put it. Pat Listash. Yeah, um, another unfortunate injury, but tremendous person. Jeff Cirillo. Love him. I love him. I love the icon. He's so much fun. He, uh, he once complained to me and Drew Olson about never getting a day off. And then uh, when he didn't play for three or four days in a row, I can't remember the exact reason, he complained to us about, uh, do you think I'll ever get back in the lineup? So just uh, that that's how funny he was to cover. Um, loved him. Jeff D'Amico. Yeah, um, unfulfilled potential. You know, that guy had a chance. He just couldn't stay healthy. But, man, when he was healthy, he was good. Derek Turnbow. Uh, just a uh, tremendous personality, and, but, uh, but he was a comet. He was a comet that went by pretty fast. <laughs> Matt Gamble. Yeah, another just unfulfilled potential. We'll never know. You know, I mean, he had, I think he, had, he tore his ACL three times, I think. Just, just buzzard's luck. Buzzard's luck is what I'll say for him. Last one, Johnny Estrada. Yeah. Um, um, unfortunate brewer. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunate brewer. Yeah, yeah it, didn't, it just didn't work out for him or the brewers, right? Uh, or anybody trying to cover him. <laughs> right? Yeah he, yeah, he could be tough. There's a reason I'm bringing this up, and I want to talk to you more about it. It's my favorite column that you write every season, and I'm guessing it's not yours. More with Tom Hardercourt on Brewers Weekly. Welcome back in. Brewers Weekly continues, and we continue our conversation with Brewers beat writer Tom Hardercourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. All right, we went through the name game in our last segment. The reason we went through that exercise, Tom, is that I thought it would be a natural lead-in to discussing my favorite column you write every year. And I'm guessing it's not your favorite column. It's the annual player grades. You spent 162 games, sometimes more, covering the team. You build relationships. And then at the end of the year, you've got to be honest in your assessment about players who were worth a darn and players who weren't. 
and many of your years covering the team, there were a lot more players who struggled than thrived. What is it like going through that exercise every season? Yeah, I will. It's interesting that you brought that up because now that I think about it, if I had to list the things I'll miss most and things I'll miss least, that might be at the very top of the least. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you can't win with that unless it's an A, right? You can't win. I'll tell you a funny story. Davey Lopes, first year as the Brewers manager, Drew Olson and I are covering the team. They were, you know, they were brutal before he got there. That's why they changed general managers and managers, right? They brought in Dean Taylor and Davey Lopes because it was just the things were going so bad. It was time for new leadership. So Lopes did a pretty, in our opinion, in Drew Drew Olson's opinion, in my opinion, he did a really good job that first year because he he basically at least got them organized and professional and doing it the right way, and they finished. Like 14 under 500 or thereabouts, but it was, you know, way better than they've done in the past. And it was definitely just looked like it was heading in the right direction. So Drew and I, when we graded, did our grades at the year, we gave him a B. And we thought that was a fantastic grade. You know, most people are happy with Bs. Well, we had our season ending, like, wrap up thing with him at Miller Park. And, uh, we could see he he looked pissed at us, you know. <laughs> and so we went to talk to him, and he said, what's with the B? Because, you know, that, he goes, I managed my butt off. That should have definitely been an A. And, and, and we thought he was kidding. And then when we saw he didn't laugh, we said, holy cow, he's really mad at us. And so I said, I tried to explain, first of all, you know, I tried to explain that how hard it is to do those grades and that it's not our favorite endeavor. But then I said, baby, let me just explain to you grading curves. You, the team was 14 under 500. We gave you a B. If we gave you an A and next year you win the pennant, where do we go with your grade from? <laughs> right. You know? Right. You know, you know what I can tell you about his response to that explanation? He was unimpressed. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking, <laughs> but it's you know we our our thing was or at least my thing was in the different partners I worked with is you don't get an F if you, if you tried you know lots of guys that had terrible seasons but you don't get an F if you tried um, because it's not an easy game and so but uh you know if you use C as average that's kind of the plateau that we went with, if you see as average, if you got anything above it, we consider you above average. If you got anything below it, you consider it below average. And, but, I, but I just don't miss that. You know, We didn't give grades in the COVID year because they only played 60 games and we thought it was a pointless exercise. I enjoyed not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. Tom, you mentioned this is kind of a golden era of Brewers baseball, and yeah, I'm right there with you. Who do you think is most responsible for this turnaround? Yeah, Doug Melvin got it going for sure, and then David Stearns has been so good. But I think, and, and you know, you're out there a lot, and correct me if you uh, think I'm wrong, I think this complete leadership team of Atanasio, Stearns, Council, just on and on, all the way down through the ranks, and then certainly the talented players is probably the best they've ever had. You know, they—they've just—it's just 
you know, I think Doug's pick as counsel, as manager before David Stearns got here was brilliant. You know, he literally was born to manage the Brewers. You know, born right. You know, he's born to manage the Brewers. Dad worked. You know, I've had, I've had the most unique relationship with any manager I've ever had with Counts because I knew when he was a kid. You know, his dad worked at John Counts. worked in the Brewers front office, and Craig used to run around uh, in his little league uniform out at the ballpark a lot. And then, the, and then our 50th anniversary book put out by the Journal Sentinel. Um, last year or year before, um, there's a great photo of Craig in there in his little league uniform, I think holding a trophy. And I think it's like Dion James and Raleigh Fingers flanking him. We go, <laughs> pretty eclectic duo there. But, um, you know, if, if it is true that familiarity breeds contempt, we should really hate each other because. <laughs> I've known him for 40 years, you know, or 35 years, 36 years. So, uh, but it's such, you know, it's a great group. But I I tell you, it was either Earl Weaver or Sparky Anderson who once said, show me a great manager and I'll show you 25 great players. And so Craig will be the first to tell you um, that uh, he's had great talent, you know, but he's made the most of it. and so it's, they, they just are truly in a good place now. And they finally, after years and years and years of trying, have developed their own pitching. This is, I thought last year was the best pitching staff they've ever had top to bottom. And it carried them through the whole season. And if they just could have had any offense at all against the Braves, they could have won that first playoff series. And it would have changed postseason history because the Braves went on and won it all. But there's no reason why they shouldn't be really good again this year because all those pitchers are back. I'll tell you, if they get Yelich back on track, they're going to be really hard to beat um, because they just need to perk their offense up a little bit. And who knows what's going to happen on the personnel front once the lockout ends because there's a billion free agents still out there on the market. It's going to be, if they start three weeks late and only have a three-week spring training, between settling arbitration cases and signing remaining free agents, it's going to be transactional madness. You mentioned that uh, you know around somewhere in February is is going to be your your wrap up time with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Um, what happens with your Baseball Writers Association of America uh, connection? Does are, are you still a voting member? Do you go to a veterans committee? What what happens here? Because I know as part of that, you you have a Hall of Fame vote. Right, you get um. And first of all, you have to be in the BBWA ten years to uh, get a uh, to, to start voting for the Hall of Fame. So, you know, right around 1995-96, I had my first ballot, and I've been voting ever since. And then, um, under the current rules, and they've been amended a few times, you get voting rights for ten years after you leave. So I could, but you have to register every year to do it. So it's up to me. But I could vote 10 more years if I want to, so I'll just see how I feel about it. Um, they give you sort of a bridge year, um, so I think I might get a membership card for this year. Um, but then, uh, yeah, then that'll be it. Um, you know, there'll, there'll be a new baseball writer at the Journal Sentinel to work with my beat partner, Todd Rosiak. I have to give him 
you know, a lot of kudos for putting up with me for the last 11 years. And, um, um, he'll get a new partner and they'll, and then off they'll go, you know, uh, no one's irreplaceable and, but baseball coverage at the newspaper will still be fantastic. And so, um, it's, uh, that's kind of where I am right now. Well, you'll be stepping away from covering the Brewers and writing for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. But does that mean you're putting the laptop down? We'll wrap up our conversation with Tom Hardercourt right after this on WTMJ. Wrapping up our conversation with Brewers beat writer Tom Hardercourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. You know, Tom, when Bob McGinn stepped away from the Journal Sentinel after so many years covering the Packers, he was pretty quiet for a moment. Then he started writing about high school sports in his home state of Michigan, and then he started to spill toward the athletics. So he never really retired, though he stepped away. Do you yeah. think you'll have desire to do that, or at the very least, at least stay snarky on Twitter because that's where so many people love your work? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I, I I don't have an answer to that. It's this is all still kind of formative for me. Uh, we moved into the into the um, retirement fast lane over the holidays. So I, I don't know. I do know it's probably going to, it's all I've ever done. You know, I don't know. Somebody asked me if I'd start another career and I said, I don't know how to do anything else. You know, I, so I, this all I've ever done is be a newspaper reporter and specifically a sports writer and more specific than that, a baseball writer. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I'd like to definitely. Um, I, I we're you know we're going to get back to Virginia sometime in the spring and summer will be after that. I like I'd like to just enjoy some southern warmth and uh, kick back for a while and just see how it goes. My my wife's four years younger than me, so I told her she's got to keep working. Yeah, so. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and besides, you know, for thirty six years. She's seen me go away for six weeks and then be gone every other week or so the rest of the season. She'll probably kill me now that I'm going to be around full time. You know, so. Well, you'll have time to explore TikTok and Instagram and, and, and all the other uh, social uh, media platforms. Yeah, I think maybe I'll enjoy pulling back from social media and not uh, going deeper into it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tom, I, I would tell you this. Never underestimate the impact that you've had on other writers, other people in the media business, including this radio host. When I was covering games as an intern for WTMJ, you were among the people I watched and listened to. When I didn't know what to say or how to say it, you were one of those people I paid attention to and continue to pay attention to the most. Your relationship building, the way you craft a story, the way you're able to interact with players and, and have built those relationships over the years. I always watched, and I still watch, and I pay attention, and... You may not have known it, but you've had a significant impact on how I cover the Milwaukee Brewers, and I appreciate that. Well, it's very kind of you to say that, Greg. If, if I've influenced anybody in a positive way, it means a lot to me because I've enjoyed my career. No one's had more fun doing it. Um, and so uh, if, if I've made any type of positive impact on other journalists or broadcast people, and in particular readers, um, it's uh, it's that that just makes it all the more worthwhile that I've done it. So it's been a little humbling uh, the last several days to hear from people. And, uh, you know, you want to think that you did a good job uh, at what you were doing. And so um, hopefully that's the way people feel. And I appreciate that sentiment from you. Um, it means a lot to hear that type of feedback. 
Well, you're a Hall of Famer for a reason, Tom. I can't appreciate your time more. Thank you so much for being a part of this show on Brewers Weekly tonight. We'll definitely stay in touch. I know you'll, you won't be writing anymore, but uh, the Brewers will still be top of mind for you, so we'll make sure to stay in touch. All right, you take care. Stay warm. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Incredible stuff, an incredible career, and really quite an incredible storyteller. Tom Hardercourt, our featured guest tonight on Brewers Weekly. If you missed any of the program or any of our interview with Tom Hardercourt, check out WTMJ.com, download the podcast of Brewers Weekly, and listen at your leisure. The news is next on WTMJ.